Kershaw's 1-0 to Rendon, swung on, hit of the year to deep left center field. Taylor going back, warning track, at the wall, he leaps, it is gone, goodbye! Here's the pitch, he swings and belts one to deep right center field, way back, going, going, and gone! Goodbye! Halfway up the pavilion, a tremendous game, tying home run by Juan Soto, and this game is all even! Way back, get up! And this game is underway with a bang. This is where the lacrosse area gathers to talk Wisconsin sports. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Join in by phone or text at 796-2558. Now, here's Grant Bills. So I know I've said I'm not watching the baseball playoffs. I'm taking a principal stand, right? Had enough of these large markets. In the MLB playoffs, every single year, the same teams every single year. Well, last night, I I, I kind of went my went against my principled statement. I went against my principles and my morals, and I actually watched, and I'm really glad that I did, because if you watched the Nationals and the Dodgers last night, especially if you stayed up to see the end of the game, because I bet some of you might have cashed out, Dodgers got a lead, they're at home, I'm going to bed. Well, you missed out last night, as I'm sure you saw when you woke up. Uh, the Nationals coming from behind and winning 7-3 to after trailing 3-1 to in the 7th and into the 8th inning. Look, I hate seeing the same teams, hate seeing the big markets, uh, but if we can get more games like that, maybe I can I can warm up to the idea. This is the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. My name is Grant Bills. Thanks for hanging out and tuning in. We have an awesome show today. I'm super excited because we have all sorts of variety. Radio Joe, who we tried to hook up with yesterday, couldn't get it done. Well, we're going to try again today at 5.30. Talk Packers, he was in Dallas to cover last Sunday's game against the Cowboys where the Packers, uh, well, put a whooping on Dak Prescott and Ezekiel Elliott and Amari Cooper uh, and won 34-24. We're going to talk to him about that game, but as the week crawls on as well, we have to start looking towards the Detroit game coming up on Monday night as well. You can only live uh, and, and feel good about the Dallas game for so long. So we're going to do a little bit of both with Radio Joe. He's also covering uh, Wisconsin-Michigan State this upcoming weekend, too. So maybe we'll get into that. We'll see if we have time. Uh, when we come to wrap up the show, we're going to talk to Drew Kelly. MVC football this week is going to be incredibly fun. Not that it hasn't been up until this point. It has. It's been fun. But I think this week and next, are we're finally going to start seeing some of the marquee big-time matchups that we've been waiting for. Right, the, the the best of the best in the MVC finally facing the other best of the best teams in the MVC, which we really haven't seen so far. Right, all these games have been been a lot of blowouts, been a lot of imbalanced uh, competitive games. So we're going to talk to Drew Kelly coming up at quarter to six. Right now, look, I know I hate the big market teams, but th- this is just so much fun. Uh, last night, if you weren't watching, you weren't paying attention. This is the first you're hearing about it. Well. If you were cheering for the Dodgers, if you're a Dodgers fan, I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, Dodgers leading three to one through seven innings last night. And it was in LA and it just, it kind of had the feeling that the Dodgers were going to cruise to a victory. And yeah, the Nationals, it's nice that they came through the wild card round and, and they took this game till, to, to five, to five games, took the series to five games, right? N- nice done Nationals, but now it's time for the Dodgers to, to take over. Well, it would have been perfect. It would have been smooth, but it's not ultimately how, how it ended. Walker Bueller last night was was excellent. He was tremendous. Pitching into the seventh inning, only giving up one earned run. It, it was after Walker Bueller's start ended and, and Dave Roberts had to manage and, and figure out 
how to get the final couple outs that things went south. So you heard those two home runs in the opening uh, portion of the show. So Clayton Kershaw comes on in relief and gives up back-to-back bombs on uh, on back-to-back pitches to quickly even up the game at 3-3, sucking all the air out of the building, giving all the momentum, all the energy back to Washington, tying at 3-3, right? And then, of course, we saw those pictures of, of Clayton Kershaw sitting in the dugout by himself, right? Head in his hands, sitting on the bench by himself, just, you know, surrounded by nothing but buckets of sunflower seeds and, and bags of bubble gum. It was actually kind of a, a set. You almost felt for the guy. I felt for the guy. Look, I know you come into a big game and, and, and you blow it like that. You give up the lead, the two-run lead at home in game five. Yeah, I'm not going to say it's it's all okay and everything is well and good. It's not, but seeing him sit by himself felt a little bad. So the game actually goes all the way through the ninth. Nobody scores and then gets into the tenth. Dave Roberts elects to not stick with, uh, or not go to Kenley Jansen, but instead stick with Joe Kelly. And then, of course, I'm sure you maybe saw this highlight this morning from Howie Kendrick with the bases loaded. Swing a fly ball, center field deep. Bellinger going back to the warning track, to the wall. It's a grand slam. Howie Kendrick has done it. A grand slam in the top of the 10th inning in an elimination game on the road as the lower seed. Washington Nationals, man. That last night was a ton of fun. And you know what? I don't feel bad for Dodgers fans. I feel bad for Clayton Kershaw today. I do because I I can't I can't put myself in his shoes. I can't imagine how he feels, but when you are the punching bag of the entire uh sports landscape, you are the punching bag of Twitter, right? You you are a meme, you are a funny video. Man, that can't feel good. But I do not feel bad for Dodgers fans, right? How many years now have they been in the playoffs in a row, right? Either making it to the Divisional Series or the Championship Series or even to the World Series a couple of times. They just haven't been able to deliver. They have not been able to to win a championship. I feel like they've farted around. They've wasted enough time. They won 106 games this year. 106! And they didn't get out of the, the, the first round, the Divisional Series, right? Now, give all the credit in the world to the Nationals. They had to make those hits, right? And Howie Kendrick with just an incredibly clutch piece of hitting in the 10th inning. Look, even if that ball doesn't get out, it either goes off the wall or it's caught by the center fielder, which is certainly going to score a run, right? So so the novelty uh, and the flash of a grand slam aside, an excellent piece of hitting, great stra- strategic baseball, right? I know it carried over the wall, so it turns to 7-3, to three, not to 4-3, to three, but, but Howie Kendrick has to... Put the barrel on that ball, right? Get it out into the outfield or at least get one run home. Ultimately gets all of it and puts it over the wall. I couldn't believe what I was watching last night. And I'm not a night owl, so I am I'm I feel a little bit lucky uh, that last night I actually chose to, to, to stay up and watch the end of a baseball game in which the Brewers were not a part of. And I was rewarded by back-to-back ding-bombs off Clayton Kershaw and then not a walk-off Grand Slam, but a go-ahead Grand Slam in the 10th inning. Couldn't believe what I was watching. And then, of course highlighted by that image of Clayton Kershaw sitting in the dugout by himself. Most of the conversation today was about Dave Roberts, right? The 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 Dodgers manager. Was it the right move? Was it the wrong move to bring in Clayton Kershaw? Look, we can debate this all day, and I, I do want to talk about it a little bit because I, I think there are some connections to Dave Roberts' decision to pitch Clayton Kershaw last night and Craig Council's decision to, to pitch Josh Hader. They're not exactly the same, right? Obviously, Hader or a reliever. Council or Craig Council playing, going with his closer essentially in Josh Hader, but Dave Roberts going with his best pitcher who happened to be a starter. Neither move worked out. I, I think they're 
there are some parallels, right? Mostly because both teams had a 3-1 lead and ended up blowing it, right? I think there are some connections. It's an, it's a fascinating conversation because as a baseball manager, so often I think you're damned if you do, damned if you don't, right? If you wait to go to your best player, Dave Roberts waited to go to Kenley Jansen last night. If you wait to go to your closer and it and it backfires, it's all the manager's fault. If you go to your closer early and it backfires, it's all the manager's fault. I, I think Dave Roberts is in between a rock and a hard place on this one. Some interesting statistics about Clayton Kershaw, though. I, obviously, we're all familiar with his regular season dominance. He's got a couple of Cy Young awards. He hasn't been the best in the postseason, but it gets more difficult to pitch into the postseason. I don't expect Clayton Kershaw to be superhuman. Everybody makes mistakes, right? But I, I saw this today. Clayton Kershaw, of all eligible pitchers, has the second worst ERA in an elimination game in the history of Major League Baseball. Of all the pitchers who have pitched in an elimination game, his ERA is the second worst. Now, don't get me wrong, Clayton Kershaw, right, he's he's pitched in a lot of elimination games. They've been in the playoffs so much. That probably hurts his case a little bit. But it's no longer anecdotal evidence against Clayton Kershaw. I remember when he blew that one lead. Right, this is actually tangible. There's actually multiple scenarios. There's statistics. There's evidence. After the sixth inning, which is when it really gets difficult uh, to get outs in the postseason, right? Hitters shorten up their swing. Hitters often see as many pitches as, as they can, maybe forcing a full count, trying to get on, right? Hitters just aren't giving up late in games in the postseason. Clayton Kershaw, after the sixth inning, in the regular season, has an ERA of 2-3-3. In the postseason, an ERA of 12 12- 27. That's the highest of all time with, with a minimum of 10 innings pitched. It's no longer anecdotal evidence or the eye test against Clayton Kershaw. Hey, he doesn't look the same in the postseason. Or remember when he blew that lead once, right? No, it's it's tangible. There is concrete statistical evidence to support that Clayton Kershaw is not the same guy in the postseason. We saw that come to a head last night. Now, that being said, I still don't know if Dave Roberts necessarily made the wrong decision. I want to talk about that coming up. And also maybe compare Dave Roberts and his decision with Clayton Kershaw to Craig Council and his decision with Josh Hader just a little over a week ago. I think it's interesting. I think it's very interesting. Plus, we're going to talk Packers with Radio Joe coming up. Local love with Drew Kelly before 6 o'clock as well. A lot to come on the Wisco Sports Show. Presented by Play It Again Sports. Back in a moment here on WKTY. Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. Thanks for hanging out. My name is Grant Bills. Glad to have you. If you want to call in and join, you can 608-796-2558. That's the five-star telecom talk and text line. Twitter is always wide open at KeystrokerGrant and at WKTY. Love to have a conversation. Love to talk baseball. I I know I said I wouldn't do it, that I wouldn't watch all these, these large market teams, the same teams we see every year. Last night was just it was just too much fun. How could how could I not? How could I not have tuned in last night? A pretty crazy finish, including Clayton Kershaw blowing a two run lead by giving up back to back solo shots, and then ultimately the the Nationals and Howie Kendrick hitting a go ahead grand slam in the tenth inning uh, to make the final score of seven to three. Pretty wild and stunned in Los Angeles last night. Right, fans were silent. Stadium was silent. I enjoyed it personally. I liked. I like seeing Dodgers fans a little shocked. They become so accustomed, so used to just being in the championship series, being in the World Series. Now, they haven't won it, but 
they've been so used to being there, taking it for granted, becoming accustomed to it. It was nice to see their their shocked faces last night. I'm not going to lie. That's not being spiteful, right? That's not being mean. It's just, that's how sports work. The conversation today was not about the Los Angeles fans or the stunned silence in at Dodger Stadium last night, but was about Dave Roberts. Dave Roberts is in a really tough spot because just just thinking of the last couple of years, he's he's had a great team, great talent top to bottom, great pitchers, great young talent as well, right? Cody Bellinger kind of coming up, Corey Seager is a younger player of theirs as well, and now Gavin Lux, like, he's got the high-end, pricey starting arms with experience, but he's also got some young, talented players bubbling up. He's got it, right? And the Dodgers have been really good, and they've won a lot of games. They won 106 games this year. But they haven't been able to to do it, to win the World Series, to break all the way through uh, and, and to hold that that trophy at the end of the year. And I don't know if it's entirely Dave Roberts' fault. The last two years, I think the Dodgers just ran into two juggernauts from the American League, right? The Astros, and, and then last year, of course, the Red Sox. I, I don't know if that's Dave Roberts' fault. Sometimes one team is better, and it's really hard to overcome uh, lesser talent in a seven-game series, right? Don't they say the seven-game series is the great equalizer? Now, five-game... All right, you get lucky here or there, right? And the Nationals can win, even though I don't think they're as good as the Dodgers. Now, when you go to a seven-game series, that changes a little bit. I don't necessarily blame Dave Roberts for that. But last night, a lot of people upset at Dave Roberts, saying, what the hell are you doing? And then, of course, today on SportsCenter and all the talk shows, I hear, Dave Roberts, what the hell are you doing? I'm not going to defend Dave Roberts, but I want to liken this situation and this scenario a little bit to what happened with Josh Hader and Craig Council last Tuesday night. In Washington, D.C., right? Now, obviously, Clayton Kershaw has won a couple Cy Youngs. He is a starting pitcher. Josh Hader is a a, a younger, uh, less accomplished pitcher, but probably the Brewers' best pitcher nonetheless. Neither move worked out, which I think is important to remember, right? That, that our opinion of both of these moves by both managers is, is probably tainted a little bit just because the result was, was so poor. But I'm trying to put myself in the headspace of Dave Roberts last night. As a manager, his job is to give the opponent his best shot, right? If you want to beat the Dodgers at home in Game 5, you have to go through our best players. And I think Dave Roberts, rightfully so, considered in that moment, Clayton Kershaw, one of his best arms, one of his best players, one of his best options, right? And if I was a baseball manager, if I was manager of any ball club in a playoff game, I want the other team to have to beat my best players. And I think Dave Roberts took the eighth inning yesterday as an opportunity to say, hey, you're going to have to go through Clayton Kershaw if you want to beat us. And they they did, right? And I know there are all the statistics in the world now. We have a pretty big sample size of Clayton Kershaw not playing well in the postseason. I think the the, the book's kind of out there, right? It's not a secret. It's no longer just a little bit of a myth or, or, or a critical belief by some, right? He has been poor in the postseason. He has an ERA almost to 12 and a half in the sixth inning or later. Of playoff games compared to like two and a half in the regular season, right? He has the highest ERA all time, all time, excuse me, second highest ERA all time in elimination game history. It's no longer just a, just a critical belief or people being spiteful or that one time when Clayton Kershaw blew a lead, like, but right, there's concrete evidence now. I still don't know if Dave Roberts made the, made the wrong move. Didn't work out. But I don't know if it was the wrong move. And I know people, I, I heard Colin Cowherd earlier today, for example, right before I left the house, we had we had FS1 on. And he was making the argument that it was a dumb choice because Clayton Kershaw's a starting pitcher. Why would you bring him in 
in the seventh or the eighth inning. He's a starter. He's not meant for that. I, I don't really, I, I don't really take that argument seriously because the the postseason is littered by instances of starting pitchers coming in in relief roles. It's very common, right? It's, it, this is not a one-time thing where Dave Roberts decided to get crafty or creative. We see this all the time, right? Happened with Steven Strasburg against the Brewers. We've seen it with Madison Bumgarner in the postseason. We, it's lots of examples. So pitching a starter in the eighth inning, don't necessarily know if, if that's a, a bad thing, as some made it out to say. Now, I, I think Dave Roberts probably considered going to Kenley Jansen in the eighth inning, maybe a six-out save, right? But maybe, just maybe, remembered what happened to Craig Council when he tried to do just that. A little bit more than than a week ago, right? When Craig Council, with six outs to go, went to get Josh Hader. And everything went south. I I truthfully think, look, we can be critical of Dave Roberts all day long. Made the wrong move, didn't work out, blah, 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 right? And, And if you want, you can be critical of Craig Council, right? I think it was the correct move, but it still didn't work out. If you want to be critical of of Dave Roberts or Craig Council, I want to hear what you would have done instead, right? Dave Roberts should not have brought Clayton Kershaw. He should have done this instead. Then you have an argument. Craig Council shouldn't have pitched Josh Hader. He should have pitched this arm first. Well, then you have an argument. You just say, it was a wrong move, bad move. Well, why? What, what else did you want him to do? I think Dave Roberts and Craig Council are, are two different types of managers, two different styles, and their job is very different. And you see this all throughout sports, not just in baseball, but in the NBA especially, and in the NFL a little bit as well. Some managers, especially in large markets, and whoever inherits the Cubs is, is going to fit this bill as well, whether that's David Ross or Joe Girardi. Some managers, especially in large markets, have a lot of money to spend, and they have very talented rosters, right? Dave Roberts, in the most difficult decision he made yesterday, okay, should I pitch Clayton Kershaw, who's won a couple of Cy Youngs, or should I go to Kenley Jansen, our all-star closer, who's been great for the last couple of years, right? That's not a particularly, like, there's no bad option there. But Dave Roberts still has to make that choice, right? He's got to juggle an incredibly talented starting rotation, incredibly talented bullpen, an incredibly talented batting order, right? He's got talent everywhere. His job is not about squeezing performance out of below-average players. It's about balancing all that superstar talent. Craig Council, on the other hand, his job's different. His job is to take a bunch of B and C players, especially once Christian Yelich got hurt, and try to, to to squeeze an A product out of them, right? Dave Roberts just basically has to not get in the way. And I think in, in the NBA, there's a great example of this, Brad Stevens, right? Now, a couple of years ago, when the, the Celtics made uh, the Eastern Conference Finals, right, with Kyrie injured, and it was Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, and, and everyone's like, man, look out for the, the future of this Celtics. I think Brad Stevens is at his best when he has young players, underdog players, not superstar players, because he knows how to motivate those guys, how to get them to come together and be a part of something bigger. Now, last year, when you gave Brad Stevens Gordon Hayward and you gave him Kyrie Irving and Al Horford and all of these talented superstar players, he didn't know how to manage it, right? Two different jobs, two completely different strategies, managing lesser talented players and raising them up or taking a bunch of superstars and making it work. That, that's Dave Roberts, taking a bunch of superstars and making it work. It's not an easy job. It's not. Two different kinds of managers. Craig Council, Dave Roberts, very different types of managers. I don't know if the decision to pitch Clayton Kershaw last night in the eighth inning was the wrong one from Dave Roberts. It's certainly going to be perceived that way. Certainly going to be remembered that way. 
man, who knows? Maybe Dave Roberts isn't managing the Dodgers next year. Maybe they think, you know what? We've had a great team. We've had Cy Young Award winners. We've had MVPs. I think Cody Bellinger has a great shot at winning the MVP this year just because of Christian Yelich's injury. We expect more. And they try to shake things up a little bit by bringing in a new voice, a new personality, right? Instead of Dave Roberts. I could see that. But I don't know if last night's move was was necessarily wrong. You know what I think was wrong is all of us who, who when the Brewers were playing the, the, the Nationals in that one game wild card, you said, well, it doesn't matter. Whoever wins this game is just going to get killed by the Dodgers. Whoever wins this series is, is, is just going to go get beat by the Dodgers. Well, I don't know. The Brewers beat the Nationals, feeling pretty good about themselves. You only got to win three games, right? It's not a seven-game series, but only a five. Who knows? I, I do not feel... When, when the Brewers and the, the Nationals first played in the wild card, I thought, man, I don't think either one of these teams has a shot to beat the Dodgers. Well, I don't think I still feel that way. I don't think I still agree with that logic, right? Man, as much as I hate having the same big market teams, although now we have the Nationals in the championship series, and the Cardinals, God, I hate the Cardinals. That stinks. And then we're going to have the Yankees on the other side and the winner of Tampa Bay and Houston, who will play tonight in Game 5. We have some different faces in the playoffs so far this year, and and and, and that's fun. Last night's game was a lot of fun. I'm glad I, I went against my, my principles, my morals, and watched a Dodgers game uh, in the postseason. It was a lot of fun. Crazy finish. And, and as the playoffs go on, I want to continue to talk about them, but I want to try to watch them through a lens of a Milwaukee Brewers fan, right? What can we learn as Brewer fans? What can the Brewers learn uh, from the Dodgers, right? From the, from the Cardinals. From the Astros. Coming up next, we're going to talk to Radio Joe Zanzola. He's the executive producer of The Bill Michaels Show. Uh, you hear that every day, 11 to 2, here on WK2I. We missed him yesterday. Uh, we got him again tonight. He's in high demand. I know. We're going to talk Packers. And maybe, just maybe, if we get time, uh, we'll hit the Badgers. He's going to be covering uh, Wisconsin-Michigan State coming up this weekend as well. Hang around. A lot of fun to come. You're listening to The Wisco Sports Show, presented by Play It Again Sports, right here on WKTY. Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY 96.7 FM, 5.80 AM. My name is Grant Bills. Thanks for hanging out. You can always listen on our mobile app and at WKTYsports.com. We've been talking MLB playoffs, and last night, as much as I hate to watch the Dodgers, much as I hate to see the Cardinals and the Astros, last night was so much fun. So we're going to continue to talk about the playoffs uh, as they roll on, and especially how they pertain to the Brewers, right? That's our that's our focus here. It's the Wisco Sports Show. Right now, I want to take a little bit of a break uh, to talk Packers, and we're lucky enough to have Radio Joe. He's the executive producer of the Bill Michaels Show, 11 to 2 every day here on WKTY, and he was in Dallas, or I guess it's in, in Arlington, at AT&T Stadium this last weekend for the Packers-Cowboys game. Joe, what's going on today? What's going on, Grant? Yeah, you know what? It, Texas is weird because you think Dallas and Fort Worth are right next door. They're actually like an hour apart from each other. Uh, I mean, it, it, and then Arlington is smack right in the middle. So when you're coming from Dallas, which we were, we were staying in Dallas, it was a half-hour drive just to get to Arlington. Yeah, that's a lot of travel. I don't like the sound of that. I would love to go to a game in Dallas. I would love to see Jerry World, but traveling and, and driving, not necessarily my thing. But but what's Jerry World like? I, I know you've you've probably covered games in a lot of different stadiums, of course, including Lambeau Field. The, the, the experience is just different from what I've heard at Jerry World, right? Is that including uh, members of the press, too? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, Jerry World is one of my favorite stadiums in the country. Um, you know, I've, I've, had a, I've been really privileged to, you know, go to so many different stadiums around, you know, whether it's football stadiums or baseball stadiums. 
Uh, but Jerry World is at the top of my list. I was there a couple of years ago, and it's just, um, it is a very loud-sounding stadium. They they do a really good job pumping sound into there. It's got this intensity to it. Um, and, you know, everything, because it's Jerry Jones and because, you know, he is this, you know, this freak billionaire, everything he does is first class. You know, so he wants to make sure that the fan experience is first class, where you've got, you know, all these bars and seating that go all the way around the field, and then you can watch the players come in and out of the locker room through the bar, which is just it's just crazy. Um, and, and, you know, and then when it comes to the media, the press meal is it, it, the food is excellent. It is the best media meal you'll get anywhere. Um, you know, after the game, they they're one of the few stadiums in the country that actually serves beer to working media members. I mean, it's just, and yes, I did partake in a brewski Good. or two uh, while I was cutting my sound. But yeah, it's just, uh, it, it's a pretty wild stadium. It's massive from the outside. Um, and, and what's so cool about, you know, going there when you've got two of the most historic franchises in the NFL, really the faces of the NFL, it, it, it is pretty wild how many Packer fans you see down there, you know, intermingling with Cowboy fans and, a lot of these people aren't even from Wisconsin. A lot of these Packer fans travel from, you know, California or they're from Texas. Or, yeah. you know, I remember a couple of years ago we met a couple of guys that were from Mexico City, big Packer fans, Mexico City. Um, you, you definitely get a lot there, and it is uh, it is pretty special being around all of that. That's pretty cool. I, I, I hope to do a little bit more traveling and see different stadiums, but driving, like you said, does not necessarily excite me that much. Oh, hopefully one day. I'll kind of fill you in with, with the, the quick recap. My take on Monday about this game, 34-24, the final score. I, I thought when the Packers had a 28-point 20, lead, everything was going well, obviously it was great. And then after that, I, I'm actually not going to complain about much. I, I don't think the Packers took their foot off the gas. I, I don't think the defense started to break down. I, I just thought Dallas started to make some plays. But the third quarter took way too long. I thought the officiating <laughs> mucked it up. And, and the way that the the coaches challenged plays mucked it up. And, and it, the, the second half to me, post 31 to 3 or whatever the, the 28 point deficit score was. It, it just felt like a waste of time and, and, and avoiding the inevitable. I didn't dwell on the Packers allowing the Cowboys to come back into the game. I, I thought that game was over at 20, 28 points w- with a lead. Did you feel that same way or did, did the second half give you concern? No, not really. I, you know what? You know, sitting there watching that game and seeing that score get up to 31 3. I mean, I was sitting next to uh, Mark Daniels, who's, you know, with our Green Bay affiliate WNFL and you know, he's like, he's like, what do you think, Joe? Are you, are you surprised by this? I'm like, oh, hell yeah, I'm surprised. This game, to me, I thought was going to be down to the wire. And I think a lot of people were not giving Dallas enough respect heading into that game based on the opponents that they played and the fact that, you know, they couldn't score at all against the New Orleans Saints the previous week. But I expected things would be a little bit closer, especially since Devontae Adams wasn't playing, you know, you know, can the offensive line hold up? You know, with Brian Bulaga, who's been a little shaky. You know, with his you know with his injury situation. Um, I, I mean, I was stunned, and the fact that in the second half, you know, the Cowboys got back into it. I mean, that's just a sign that yeah. I mean, the Cowboys they are a good team. I don't yeah. know if they're a great team, but they are a good team. And Dak Prescott actually threw some pretty darn good balls. He didn't do that in the first half. Yeah, you know, yeah. and he's got a he's got a weapon in Amari Cooper that is legit. He, ever since he came to Dallas, change of scenery really helped, and he he has become a stud receiver and one of the top receivers in the league because of it. But Prescott was throwing balls to him; he was dropping dimes to him, 
and Jair Alexander had a hard time. So, I mean, at the end of the day, I'm not, I'm not fully concerned by what I saw in the second half, and I do agree with you. The third quarter felt like it took five hours yeah. to get done. It, it took way too long. I had homework to, to do, Joe. I actually was excited about the thought of going to the library. I don't want to sit on my couch and watch any more of that. The third quarter was making me that frustrated. I had that moment during the Cardinals game last year as well. That's the only time I've ever actually wanted to do something uh, related to school instead of watching the Packer game. Joe Zanzola, executive producer of The Bill Michael Show, uh, joining us here on a couple of minutes for the Five Star Telecom Talk and Text Line. Joe, I, I, I thought coming into this game that it was on Matt LaFleur and Aaron Rodgers, right? Because... The Packers had won, right? Matt LaFleur had won a couple of games coming in, but there was Devontae Adams, and, and Aaron Rodgers could kind of lean back on that chemistry, and, and if things started to go south, he could give a little wink in the nod to number 17, and and they could kind of do their own thing. Wasn't able to do that this weekend, right? I, I thought a lot of this game was going to be about the game plan that Matt LaFleur put together with Aaron Rodgers. I thought this was the first big chance for Matt LaFleur as a head coach, and they put together a game plan that in you know involved a lot of passing to the running backs and a lot of passes to the tight ends. I thought it was a great game plan, and it showed that Matt LaFleur is growing a little bit and is taking a little bit more control over this offense. What did you see? Because some people were, were frustrated and were confused and didn't like that wide receivers only got four or five targets in this game. Well, I, that was the biggest question going in is, you know, who's going to step up in this receiving core with Devontae out? Is MBS, is, this, is he going to have a big game? Is Geronimo Allison going to have a big game here? Um, is one of these other younger receivers could, you know, Darius Shepard or Alan Lazard or even Jay Kumaro, could they show up? I mean, I, I was seeing Kumaro in a lot, a lot of series, and I thought, man, maybe maybe this is the game that Rodgers just keeps throwing to Jay Kumaro because he's been raving about him for the last two years, and you didn't really see any of that. Instead, what you got was a pretty brilliant game plan by LaFleur using utilizing Aaron Jones as much as possible. And I I don't think if Mike McCarthy were still the head coach of the Packers, I guarantee you he's not using Aaron Jones as much as he should in that game against Dallas. It's probably Aaron Rodgers is throwing the ball all day, hoping someone does something. And, and granted, there, there were some situations like Geronimo Allison, for example, that had a couple of footballs that he should have caught and he didn't. And that's frustrating. Um, but really, overall, the plays of getting Aaron Jones, using him up the gut, getting him out in the space, throwing him the ball, was so effective. And it worked. It worked all the way. And it just goes to show that you don't necessarily need to have Aaron Rodgers save the day every single time. You have a very capable running back in Aaron Jones that can do it. You know, the only concern that I have about Jones is can his body hold up throughout the course of season. I think they're going to need Jamal Williams back here pretty soon. But in the meantime, take advantage of what you got. Yeah, you don't have the, the best receiving core right now, but you have a running back that can go out there and make big-time plays. And Aaron Jones did just that. And LaFleur, he, he exploited all that. And that was great to see. I thought this weekend was LaFleur's first signature moment. I know they had had wins, yeah. but I think Aaron Rodgers willing them at times and the defense willing them at times. I thought LaFleur's fingerprints we're all over this game. Joe, I only have a couple of minutes, but I do want to ask you, you're going to be in Madison this weekend uh, for Wisconsin-Michigan State. It's not that the Badgers haven't faced a test yet. They played Michigan, but I, maybe that game was a bit of an outlier. Am I being critical for saying that, that maybe they caught Michigan on a bad day and, and Wisconsin just had that great of a day? I, I want to see another good Big Ten team come in, and I want to see how Wisconsin responds. What do you expect this weekend from Wisconsin and Michigan State? 
Well, I expect a win. I think they're going to beat Michigan State. Yeah. Um, I don't. I, I don't have a score prediction in mind as of right now. If you want one, forget it. Um, <laughs> I, I'd like to think that this Badger team will win by at least uh, ten to fourteen points. Michigan State got just trounced by Ohio State last week, and they were making a lot of boneheaded plays, and they had a hard time stopping the run. And the thing is, you know, they struggled against J.K. Dobbins. What What makes you think they're going to play any? better against Jonathan Taylor. I mean, that, that's, that's the first key right there, is trying to contain Jonathan Taylor. And, and believe me, I have a lot of respect for the Michigan State front seven. That They, they do have a good defensive front. Good defense. But, yeah, it, it, but I, if you cannot contain Jonathan Taylor, it's going to be a long day. And, and furthermore, if, he's, if you're giving the ball to him all the time, that means that the time of possession – you know how the Badgers operate offensively. Paul Chris likes to rack up those minutes. And the next thing you know, if you're keeping that Badger offense on the field for six, seven, eight minutes, that's not going to help you at all. And Michigan State had issues last week, too, against Ohio State with turnovers. Look, I think this Badger team is legitimate. I think the win against Michigan State was very impressive. And the fact that you were able to carry that over the following week against Northwestern, Northwestern who tested you more yeah. than Michigan did, but you still came out and took care of business when it was all said and done. That's impressive. Oh, and by the way, you shut out another non-conference opponent in Kent State. So now you've shut out three non-conference teams, what, 159 and nothing or something? I'm doing the math right yeah. in my head. That's just that's unheard of. And, and you, see the de- you see this Badger defense being at the top of pretty much every major statistical category in the country. You can't take any of that away from them. This team is legitimate. I, the true test to me, Grant, if they can get past Michigan State, which I would expect them to, you got Illinois after that. Ohio State is going to be the true measuring stick. Yeah, that's what that, we all know. This. If the Packers can beat Ohio State, now I think it's fair to start having this college football playoff talk. Right now, I don't think we're ready there. We can think about Big Ten championship, but. Ohio State's going to be the key in all this, and that's going to be the true test for the Badgers. But they have been exceptional on both sides of the football. Yeah, I'm interested to see how they they stack up against just a quality opponent. I think Michigan State has flaws, but I think their defense is for real, and I think they're really, really well coached. So I'm interested to see how the Badgers handle them at home, and then eventually everything leading up to that Ohio State game just a little bit under a month away. Joe, enjoy Madison on Saturday. Thanks for a couple of minutes, man. Yeah, man, anytime. Talk to you soon. Go Badgers, go Pack. <laughs> Thank you, Joe. That's Joe Zanzola, executive producer of The Bill Michaels Show. You hear every day here on WKTY. When we come back, we're going to speak with uh, the voice of sports here on WKTY and our sister station, WIZM. That's Drew Kelly. Uh, game of the week tomorrow night. The MVC is is starting to get good. We're going to have some great games this weekend and next. We're going to talk about a few of them and tomorrow night's big matchup with Drew Kelly uh, when we wrap up the Wisco Sports Show coming up next here on WKTY. Final segment of the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. My name is Grant Bills. Thanks for hanging out. Uh, We've talked MLB playoffs. We've talked Packers. We've talked Badgers. If you missed it, you want to check it out, uh, go to WKTYsports.com. The podcast will go up just after 6 o'clock. Right now, we've been in a good routine doing this once a week, talking with uh, the voice of sports on WKTY. That's Drew Kelly. 
Drew, what's going on today, man? Not much, man. I'm looking forward to uh, tomorrow and uh, the next week. It's going to be a fun couple of weeks here of high school football. Well, I, I think last week I asked you, I don't remember if it was last week, maybe it was two weeks ago. It's not important, but I asked you, like, Drew, the NBC has good teams. Why have we not seen good games yet? Yeah, last week. Yeah, yeah and, and I said, you're like, well, just be patient. Like, we have some really good matchups coming up in the next two weeks. And last last week you saw yeah. maybe one of the Wild. high school games I've ever seen. Yeah. yeah. You were in Sparta for Central and Sparta, and we've seen Johnny Davis I think we know what he can do, although I was impressed as ever. Uh, it doesn't wear off, you know, his playmaking ability, and, and I'm still amazed every time I watch. But last week you saw Cole Wisniewski for the first time, and I guess yeah. I did as well. What did you take away from that? Because we don't see Sparta a whole lot. We don't talk about Sparta a whole lot. It was it was pretty incredible watching uh, what Wisniewski did last week. Yeah, I mean, every time you get to see a Div- Division One player, I mean, obviously it's FCS, it's not uh, Big Ten, but he's going to yeah. be playing in a really good program at North Dakota State, obviously a lot of national championships, and they're going to be using him as a safety, and he plays quarterback, so it's like a secondary-type skill that he has, and, you know, he's more of a running quarterback, he's more of uh, what Johnny Davis has become now that uh, Jordan Davis went down with the injury, uh, he's not throwing it as much, although he did have over 400 yards passing. <laughs> although, yeah. <laughs> although, but I mean, his skill set is more of a runner, you yeah. know, and he's looking to run, and he can obviously uh, use his legs to, you know, find angles. He's great, I think, at, at vision. I mean, he was still breaking through tackles and whatnot, but he was able to find the angle that the central player wasn't going to be able to get him. And uh, defensively, just really, really impressive. Um, had a fumble recovery that basically ended the game. Central was driving, you know, inside Sparta territory with mm-hmm. about a minute thirty left, and looking really and it good. Really, was about to be a game in which they were probably going to sneak out of there with, with, with a victory, and then they got popped loose by Wisniewski, and you know that was the game. So, what it's going to be like this week? That's the question because Central's defense isn't the cream of the crop when it comes to the Mississippi Valley Conference. So, how can he play against Holman? I think that's really the biggest question mark uh, when we come into this game, uh, Sparta and Holman. He didn't play as great against Onalaska. Onalaska went to Sparta, got a win there. Now, how does he play against really the probably the best defense in this conference? And obviously, his talent is one thing, but to be able to beat the entire 11-man team, as Johnny Davis found out, is pretty tough. Yeah, well, and I think going into Holman this time of year, not to not to overblow because it is it is just high school sports. I don't want to like project like ideas and concepts from professional yeah. sports into high school, yeah. but. Holman and their coaching staff and and some of their players have been there before. Like they are used to playing meaningful games late in the year, competing for conference championships. Sparta, maybe, maybe not. I don't know if they have that track record as certainly not as much as Holman. So I, I think that's something you take into account. I think Holman probably feels fairly confident about this game, as good as Cole Wisniewski is. I, yeah. I don't know. Is that unfair to assume? No, no I, I think they do. And, I mean, Sparta basically came out of nowhere last year. I mean, they were middle right. of the pack, and then all of a sudden they went on this long run in the playoffs, and it's like, what the heck happened? And here they are 6-1 and one this year. So it was kind of, I, mean, it's, I don't want to call it a fluke, because obviously they're beating really good teams, mm-hmm. but they kind of came out of nowhere and kind of caught people by surprise at the end of last year, and Obviously, uh, this year they're they're playing great football, but losing to on Alaska, that's one of your main top opponents in the Mississippi Valley Conference. Uh, you haven't played Holman yet. That you're going to play them this week yet. So, I mean, this is going to be the game, I think, of the season as of yet. We have on Alaska Holman the ability to have a conference championship game next week if all the things work out the way that they're expected to work out. But yeah. this is going to be the game of the season, I think, uh, against a really good Holman team and a lot of good special talent on on uh, Sparta's side. and uh, It's going to be fun. Cam Weber back for Holman, obviously dislocated hip. 
uh, which just sounds painful just yeah. to say. Yeah. Uh, much less uh, think uh-huh. about experiencing it. But uh-huh. you know, he's been a really good asset to that Holman team. No turnovers, five touchdowns, no turno- uh, interceptions, and that. And uh, you know, they've got uh, Weber. They've got uh, Brett Holden. Brett Holden is mm-hmm. just obviously that beast of a fullback and uh, fullback. Uh, he really, they really got to uh, Sparta's defense as far as running the football uh, in that Central game, and that's something we haven't seen a whole lot from Central. And they were really use, able to use Carl Hag, and so I, I would imagine that uh, Sparta's got some work cut out for them as far as stopping that really heavy ground attack by Holman. I think tomorrow night's going to be a close game. I think it's going to be competitive. I think Holman probably feels pretty good, but I think it's going to be different from last week in the fact that I think Holman's probably going to slow the game down. Oh, they're going sure. to try to control the ball as much as you can, because that's ultimately how you keep Cole Wisniewski quiet. You keep him you know, from having I, I would say keep him off the field, but yeah, he's going to play defense too. So right. keep keep the ball out of his hands. I, I think it's going to be a slower paced game, and and it's really going to come down to one or two drives where you have to make a play. Last week we saw all these opportunities up and down and up and down. I think tomorrow night's going to look a lot different. If yeah. I if I'm just guessing and assuming, obviously we don't know, yeah. but if I had to guess, no, I I just I just assume that as well. And you know, last week I kept thinking Central needs one stop. Because they yeah, can't yeah. be stopped offensively in the second half, and that's exactly what happened. They kind of stopped themselves at the end of the game. This obviously is a different scenario where you're not going to have as many opportunities offensively that Sparta had uh, in last week's game just because of the defensive central just wasn't able to hamper them. Uh, and so it's going to be obviously, you know, 20s, something like that, but every possession is going to be critical. It's not going to be like last week where, you know, possessions are coming every two and a half minutes. Yeah, exactly. I think. Y- Central and or not Central, but Sparta and Holman has to take advantages, uh, take advantage of their opportunities on offense because they are, I think, going to be few and far between tonight. So you, me, tomorrow night, Holman six fifty pregame, six fifty pregame, okay. seven o'clock. Yeah, I, I can't wait. It's been a couple weeks since I've since I've been at a game, and tomorrow uh, is the game to be at and the game to watch. You can stream at wktysports.com the video and the audio, or of course you can listen however you're listening now or on the the WKTY app. Tomorrow night, 6.50, we will talk to you from Holman. Otherwise, have a great weekend. I'll talk to you Monday.